ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Hey, just a heads up, this episode is one from our archives. So are you an introvert or an extrovert? Uh, or a bit of both? Uh, a bit of both. Chuck, chuck that one in there. Like talking to people, talking to people was nice, but then also not talking to people was nice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong. I'm an extrovert. A few weeks ago, I sent producer Belle Smith down to Federation Square in Melbourne to bail up strangers and ask them questions about their personalities. And do you think being an extrovert is a, a good thing? What benefits does it bestow? I think being an extrovert when I was young was a real challenge because it made me think that I was a lot better than I was. It took me an extra 30 or 40 years to come to terms with how how non-magnificent I am in reality. Um, I think I'm a little bit of both. I enjoy my own company, but at the same time, like I like being around others, I guess. Uh, would you change anything about, would you prefer to be a bit more extroverted or a bit more introverted? Um, I think I'm happy with the way I am. Kind of, but I think it would be nice if I had. Actually, no. I think I'm. I think I'm all right where I am. Yeah, of course you're all right. Yeah, Everyone's yeah, right. yeah. Nice one. <laughs> this is all in the mind. I'm Sana Kadar, and all of us fall somewhere on the spectrum between introvert and extrovert. And if you're bang in the middle, like high schooler Fiona in Fed Square. There's a word for that. Yeah, and ambivert. And this is actually where we start getting into some interesting questions about, well, what does it really mean to have a particular personality? But it's also true that people on one end of that spectrum tend to have better luck with their mental health. They report high levels of job satisfaction at work. They report high levels of life satisfaction. They report high levels of relationship satisfaction. Can you guess if it's introverts or extroverts? Today, part two of our two-parter on introversion and extroversion. Last week, we focused on the story of one particular introvert who, after finding herself lonely and retreating from the world, decided to push against her nature and try to become more extroverted. I've always felt this shyness and I just didn't want it to hold me back in life. Today, we're going to explore what science and psychology tell us about these traits, how much genes and gender play a role, whether extroversion is a necessary trait for leadership, and the surprising way the brains of introverts and extroverts are different. Okay, all right. Yeah, all good. Are we good? We're recording? <laughs> Finally. All right, I will get you to start by just introducing yourself. So your name, what you do, and where. Uh, my name is uh, Andrew Spark. I'm a personality scientist at the School of Management at the Queensland University of Technology. Do you count yourself as an extrovert or an introvert? No, I'm, I'm pretty much a bona fide introvert. So, because oh. um, extroversion is, is pretty much a continuum. Um, and I sit somewhere down like the 10th percentile. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty introverted. So, you know, coming on um, on national radio and podcasts and whatnot is is, is not my uh, not my natural element, but um, it's it's good fun nonetheless. You're, you're sounding pretty good anyway, so you're hiding it well. <laughs> and how do you even know that you're bottom 10%? How do you measure that? Yeah, so, so basically when we're looking at measuring human personality, the dominant model is pretty much known as the big five or the five factor model. The five-factor model of personality. We've covered this plenty of times previously on All in the Mind, but here's a quick recap if you're hearing about this for the first time. The big five personality traits are openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. 
And we all score high or low or somewhere in the middle for each of these. Um, there's also a, a sixth model, which kind of includes another factor called um, honesty or humility. But basically, more or less all humans across the globe vary on these five dimensions. And generally, the way it's measured is usually with a self-report questionnaire, so where people answer questions about themselves. But you can also do it where you actually get a person who knows you well to describe you as well. And you actually find that there's quite a lot of convergence between those two forms of measurement. So those are the main ways of, of measuring personality. And so basically then it's a case of saying, okay, well, compared to everyone else who completes these um, personality questionnaires, you can score someone in terms of their raw score of extroversion. And for me, I, mine happens to be pretty low. And so I can sort of compare myself and find that basically, you know, 90% of people more or less have higher extroversion scores than I do. But Andrew says most people are actually ambiverts, somewhere in the middle. That's right. And what I'm interested in looking at in particular is how people actually behave. So it may be that, yes, you know, someone might be really highly extroverted, but the evidence shows that we actually all enact behaviors across the range mm. of that continuum. So even though I'm, a, I'm, an, I'm an introvert, there'll be times, depending on the, the you know, the, the demands of the situation, where I will have to engage in more extroverted behaviors. And equally, an extrovert who um, let's say they're at a movie theater and maybe it's not the best place to be engaging in extroverted behaviors. <laughs> they will have to enact more introverted behaviors. Right. So there are social and situational demands that shape our behavior. But nevertheless, depending on where we are at a, at a trait level, will sort of guide what behaviors we naturally want to engage in more often. And where do these tendencies or traits come from? Like, is it a genetic thing? Is it just a matter of personality? Where does it come from? Yeah, so with respect to, to the big five, there's been quite a bit of work done on looking at the genetic origins of, of personality. And what we find is that around about, you know, roughly 40 to 50% of our adult personality comes from genes. Wow. So that is to say that roughly half of us, half, half of our personality rather, is determined by our genes. But that still means that there's about 50 to 60% of our personality that's determined by non-genetic factors. And when scientists have, have, have looked into this, the obvious place to look would be, well, okay, the, the home, your family life, your home life, um, your parents in terms of how they raised you and all of that sort of stuff. And the really bizarre thing, and this is something that sort of when I came across these findings, even as a parent made me go, wow, really, is that, is that actually <laughs> true? We found that parents actually make basically no contribution to the personality of their children beyond their oh. genetic contribution. Which means, wow. as so, they I should I should clarify, they do make a contribution to the personality of the child. But once the child grows up and becomes an adult, those effects largely disappear. And so right. the question is, well, where do those effects come from? The environmental effects, and the answer is, we don't really know. <laughs> Aside from you know, pretty extreme nasty environments where you know children might be abused and all of that sort of mm. stuff. That's different. That that does create. Uh, personality differences, but for right. hopefully for you know a, a healthy normal environment, most of it, most of that environmental stuff seems to come from idiosyncratic random experiences that we've had that are really actually hard to study systematically. Just the soup of being human and <laughs> living yeah, on this planet, basically, and the noise that we all experience. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm. And in terms of the people who are like true introverts or extroverts that that sit at the extremes of those the spectrum that you spoke about, is it true that their brains are different? Yeah, they are. So um, there, there's been quite a bit of neuroscience work that's that's looked at 
particularly uh, there's a, a neurotransmitter and a neurotransmitter is essentially like a, a chemical that's in the brain that helps the brain signal to other parts of the brain. And they facilitate that, that transmission of information. And dopamine is the neurotransmitter that has been largely linked with extroversion, although it's not just linked with extroversion, it's linked with some other personality traits as well. And there's a system in the brain which technically is called the dopaminergic system. An easier term is, is just simply the reward circuit. Mm -hmm. What, what the system does is it basically wires us to not only pay attention to interesting, rewarding things in our environment, but it also makes us want to approach them and seek them out. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is that in extroverts' brains, it seems to be the case that they have more of this sort of bursting effect of dopamine inside there as part of the dopaminergic system. And what that means is that extroverts seem to be more sensitive to reward cues mm. in the environment. And, and an obvious reward cue for humans, for the most part, is social interaction. And so that seems to be where the social interaction reward element for extroverts comes from, at least from a, from a neuroscience perspective, whereas introverts don't have as much of that response. Right. Okay. So I, I consider myself an extrovert. Does that mean I have more dopamine coursing through my brain or I'm just more responsive to the dopamine hit that social interaction would give me? It can be both. So there's, there's a, and hmm. there can be not only just the amount of dopamine that's released, but also the number of dopamine receptors um, that actually right. respond to the, to the dopamine that is released. Um, and so overall, you can say that extroverts have a greater sensitivity just in general to that overall phenomenon. And so that said, there is a bursting effect that occurs when we experience a reward that is of interest to us. And so what that means is that right at the top of the, the brainstem, there are dopamine-releasing cells that literally burst out dopamine. <laughs> and, and that can happen more so in extroverts simply because they have more of that sensitivity to a rewarding stimuli and environment. That is usually social, but it's not always social. We find that extroverts you know, experience a high level of reward sensitivity uh, just in general as well. That's an interesting term to use, bursting, because it makes me think about like how I am in social situations where I feel like I'm on a high, like yeah. I'm really loving what's going on. I'm like loving the party. I feel, yeah, on a different plane, like I have this burst of excitement and, and happiness. Is that yeah. sort of, does that translate to the emotional experience? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And that, that, that's a really good, um, that's, a, that's a really good anecdote, that experience, because that, that aligns pretty well with what we find in extrovert. So if we want to break out extroversion in into its sort of aspects of extroversion that we can look at as well. And they break out into two main parts. One is enthusiasm and one is assertiveness. And so for someone who is, you know, really high in extroversion will probably be high in both of those aspects. Those two aspects are related to each other, but they're different enough that we can actually measure them separately. So enthusiasm mm. is that just that raw sense of fun and joy. And, you know, it's just, it's just, that's that's what it says on the box. Basically, it's enthusiasm. <laughs> yeah. um, whereas assertiveness is a little bit more of a of like a sense of confidence and social potency, and and that seems to be perhaps where the, the uh, leadership element comes into it. The sort of desire to perhaps mm. you know take take the reins and take charge, particularly in, in the presence of other people. But they are related. Those two things. This is so interesting because this, for the first time ever, explains to me why I am the way I am. I have the enthusiasm, but I don't have the assertiveness. Like I, I shy away from making first contact in social situations. I'm quite nervous initially until someone comes out to me and then I'm all in. And that's sort of been the case across all sorts of situations and work and, and elsewhere that I'm not as assertive as I should be for my extroversion. 
Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, so we do find, and this is this is a, a generalization, and the effects aren't the effects aren't huge, but they are there. That for the most part, there's not that much difference between men and women in terms of their overall level of extroversion. Women are very slightly more extroverted, but there's not much in it really. Mm. However, when we start looking at the enthusiasm and assertiveness side, we do see gender differences there, whereby men are more likely to be, be assertive and lower in enthusiasm, whereas with women, it's the other way around. Mm. And so that is, a, that is a relatively common experience for many women to say, yeah, I'm pretty, pretty extroverted, but I don't perhaps feel as confident with the assertiveness side of things. Right. And that that's, can be a um, common thing that you know many women talk about. Coming back to sort of what we were talking about with dopamine and what's going on in the brains of introverts versus extroverts, we've talked about what's happening with extroverts. With introverts, are they, are they just not getting the dopamine hit and that's why they don't like sort of social interaction or do they actively dislike it for broader reasons than that? Yeah, that's that that's that's interesting. So there certainly seems to be that that neuroscience uh, scientific evidence with respect to the essentially that lower level of of bursting in the dopaminergic system. I will actually say just as a as a slight tangent to that, though it's that's related, is that um, so when someone experiences depression, there is a distinct lack of dopaminergic activity. It's almost as if, and I don't think I'm out of line by using this analogy, but it's almost as if like the, the dopaminergic system is somewhat infected. It's like there's, the person just doesn't have any motivational force whatsoever. And it's really hard to, to, to you know, for them to, to motivate themselves because that system just isn't working properly. So that's a pretty extreme case, right? Um, but with, with introverts, Introverts are slightly more susceptible to experiencing depression than than extroverts, though most of the predictive power in terms of personality predicting depression actually comes from trait, what's called trait neuroticism, which is where sensitivity to negative emotion sits. Um, so on the introversion side, it's true that um, introverts uh, don't experience as much of that dopaminergic hit. Mm. They, they will tell you that they just simply don't have the same uh, positive emotion response in the presence of a rewarding stimuli. Mm -hmm. Now, there's also a cognitive element to this, or uh, you can think of it like a thinking element that, that my colleagues and I, uh, Professor Peter O'Connor and I have looked at, as well as other, other scholars. So what we did is we, we looked at trying to see how extroverts and introverts think about a future social situation. So we said, okay, We've got a whole bunch of uh, introverts and extroverts together. And we said, you're going to engage in a social situation. How do you feel about that? How do you think you will feel about that? Hmm. Do you think that you will like it? Do you think that you will not like it? And what we found is that introverts felt kind of a bit meh about it, to be honest. They were like, they felt like they probably wouldn't really enjoy that, that social situation. And they also felt like that, um, you know, it was not something that they were particularly motivated to do. Mm -hmm. um, Whereas the extroverts were just like, yeah, let me at it. I want, I want to get in, get stuck into that. That sounds fantastic. And so to answer your question, there is a slight elevation in the expectation that future social situations won't be enjoyable for uh. introverts. Um, that was the extroverts just generally don't don't have as much. Right. Um, trait neuroticism also plays a part in that though. So participants who are more sensitive to negative emotion. That's where anxiety mostly sits. They also experienced a little bit more negative negative emotion when they thought about this future social situation. Right. But what's interesting is that some of the work that's been done on these, they're called affective forecasts, forecasting your emotion, is that they found that introverts actually under-predict how much they'll like those situations. So 
they think that the social situation and acting extroverted won't be much fun, but when they actually do it, they find that the extroverted behavior is actually a lot more fun than they thought. <laughs> and so that, that leads to an affective forecasting error that introverts are far more likely to engage in, particularly with regards to acting extroverted. If you listen to last week's part one episode on introversion and extroversion, this might sound familiar. It's basically author Jessica Pan's story. And the title of her book sums this attitude up perfectly. It's called, Sorry I'm Late, I Didn't Want to Come. That makes sense. I, um, I, it, it's something that, look, I suppose anecdotally I can speak to as, as an introvert. It's something that is a challenge to overcome sometimes because, um, okay, we know that extroverts do experience more positive emotion. And that's in part because of that, you know, that reward circuit, extroverts feel excitement more readily. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting is that it seems to be that extroverted behavior in and of itself is causally related or causes an increase in positive emotion. So that's really interesting. So then Mm. the question is, well, what happens though for introverts who do this often? Because a lot of the pushback that that I've got is Mm -hmm. from, again, from introverts saying, no, I don't. When I act like an extrovert, I feel really exhausted. I don't want to do that. And there has been some evidence that's looked at that and has found that it's true that people do experience tiredness and that tiredness kicks in around about three hours later, funnily enough. Oh, wow. But that tiredness seems to be true for, for extroverts as well. So yes, introverts do experience tiredness after acting extroverted, but actually so do extroverts because acting extroverted is usually a higher energy set of behaviors. I just want to dig into this a bit more because it's really fascinating to me. Given all of that, are extroverts generally happier than introverts? Like is it is extroversion a necessary ingredient for happiness? Oh, that's a good question. So, so I would say no, extroversion isn't a necessary ingredient for happiness. Nevertheless, it is true that extroverts do report higher levels of, of, of well-being more generally, psychological well-being. So for example, they report higher levels of job satisfaction at work. They report mm. higher levels of life satisfaction. They report higher levels of, of relationship satisfaction. They report higher levels of general vitality. So there is something core to extroversion, which is wrapped up with essentially positive emotion. Um, but mm. there, there are a couple of things I would say to that. One is that it's not, it's probabilistic, not deterministic. That's a term that I like because it reminds us that your personality doesn't determine everything about who you are, far from it. Um, mm. And so even though, yes, extroverts might have this natural advantage to experiencing higher levels of, of well-being, that doesn't mean that introverts can't. Not, not at all. There are plenty of happy introverts mm-hmm. that have, have found, you know, their happy place in life, whatever that may be. Things that they do in life, whether it's, you know, focusing on their family, it might be a particular a career that they really love or a hobby, whatever it may be, where they derive an immense amount of joy and happiness. And so um, that's just as well. Otherwise, I, I certainly wouldn't like personality to be that deterministic. I think that would be pretty sad. This is All in the Mind. I'm Sana Kadar. Today, part two of our two-parter on introversion and extroversion. And I'm chatting to Dr. Andrew Spark, a personality scientist at the Queensland University of Technology. We've talked about all these reasons why introverts might want to adopt a bit more extroversion um, and the benefits of that. Is there any reason for extroverts to want to be a bit more introverted? Is there any benefit for going the other way? Yeah, so this is so there, there are, um, but there are some potential costs to that as well, which we are only really now starting to, to to uncover. So the one thing that 
is often a complaint, and don't cut my head off when I say this. Um, <laughs> the, the one thing that can be uh, that is often a complaint when, when interacting with extroverts is that they can sometimes be more likely to to interrupt and to perhaps you know <laughs> to to take over the the conversation. I can't um, believe you say that. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, I'm, I'm terrible, aren't I? <laughs> so, so, so that that can be something whereby you know perhaps I've I've got a, a good friend of mine who, who I work with. He, he's brilliant. He's so extroverted. He's he's a great guy, and what what he does, he's well aware of this. He, he works with personality as well. Um, what he does is when we're having like a Zoom conversation, he will deliberately mute his mic so that he doesn't interrupt me. <laughs> and that's something that he's, he's put in place for himself because he's wow. aware that he has that tendency. And so that's something that can be, that the extroverts might sometimes struggle with because there's just that, you know, there's that, just that raw enthusiasm to get stuck mm. in and social. It's like trying to hold yourself back from that can be really hard. And, and some of the evidence that we're uncovering now shows that that is actually genuinely harder for extroverts mm-hmm. to do. And there may well be some well-being consequences to that. Mm. But that said, if you think of all the different situations that we have in life, some of those situations demand more extroversion. Some of those situations mm-hmm. demand more introversion. And it's a, it's a case of trying to better align our, our behavior with the demands of the situation. And that's, that's a challenge for everyone across the continuum. What if the situation demands leadership? Andrew says extroversion isn't a necessary ingredient for happiness, thankfully, but is it a necessary ingredient for leadership? Well, his own research has confirmed what we kind of instinctively can guess is the case, that most people generally view extroverts as naturally inclined to leadership roles and better at them. But he's had some surprising findings too. In a recent series of experiments, he and his colleagues had about 600 people, a mix of introverts and extroverts, take part in a problem-solving activity. They did this in smaller groups of three or four people. The scenario was that they had to imagine that they crash-landed on the moon and they had to solve a survival problem. (laughs) And we deliberately selected that because we didn't want anyone to have any experience with, with that sort of thing. In some of these groups, one person was instructed beforehand to act extroverted, so assertive, talkative, and enthusiastic. But the other members of the group didn't know they'd been told this. In other cases, someone was secretly told to act introverted. And in a third setting, no one was given any instructions, so everyone was free to act as they naturally would. And what we found out of that was that in the act extroverted condition, so looking at those actors who had to act extroverted, we found that those people were in fact seen to be more leader-like than everyone else in the group. And what was interesting there though, is that that was true even for the introverts. So the introverts who engaged in these extroverted behaviors were seen to be leader-like, that people thought they were pretty good leaders. Hmm. And not only that, they also thought pretty highly of their own leadership potential. Right. So it was kind of like a nice boost in, in confidence in, in a way. And so that wasn't, I guess, the case in the other groups, really. Yeah, no, that's right. So in the introverted group, we found that, sure enough, those people who acted introverted were not really seen as being particularly mm. great leaders. But it wasn't just that. We found, and this was this was a whopping effect that we did not expect, is that people's own perception of their leadership capability really took a nosedive. Wow. So... And that was true for introverts and extroverts. So people who engaged in introverted behavior in the social situation really thought quite low of their own leadership capability. Now, our data can't tell us precisely why that is, but we do have a speculation. We we think that that's probably because when you're acting introverted in a social situation, 
we think that that makes you withdraw into yourself a little bit more mm-hmm. and you become essentially more self-conscious. Whereas mm. the other people in the group are you know, kind of busy doing their thing, they're, they're busy talking and solving problems and all that. They're probably not focused on you that much. Mm-hmm. Whereas you become more focused on yourself and you sort of think quite lowly of yourself. Right. That's what we think is happening. That's really interesting. And I guess the, all of this feels like a real indictment of introversion for anyone who wants to get ahead in the working world. Is that sort of the lesson that comes out of this? No, no, it, it isn't. There are a couple of lessons. Um, the one thing I'll say before I'll, I'll talk about that in a bit more detail is, so that was sort of, you know, looking at the leadership emergent potential. What we also looked at was, you know, how people felt, um, positive and negative emotion. We actually found that the introverts who acted extroverted and the introverts who acted introverted actually felt okay. They didn't experience any change in their positive emotion or their negative emotion, but it was quite different for the extroverts. So the extroverts who acted extroverted, they were fine, no problem there, but the extroverts who acted introverted, Mm. they hated it. They experienced a massive decline in positive emotion and a large increase in negative emotion. And so much so that we even got comments that were volunteered by, by these participants. We didn't ask them to from extroverts who said, Never make me act like an introvert again. I, <laughs> oh, wow. I hated that activity. I never want to do that activity again. So that was so acting introverted for the extroverts was really not very pleasant for them. Um, to answer your question, though, in terms of, well, does this look bad for, for introverts? Mm. Not necessarily. So there are a couple of things here. The first thing is that there is a choice that introverts have, and in some ways, there, there may even be more behavioral flexibility for introverts in the sense that, you know, like I mentioned, that extroverts kind of struggled to act like introverts. It didn't seem to go too well for them. Introverts could kind of adapt to either behavioral strategy when asked to. So mm-hmm. what that points to is, is actually perhaps a surprising behavioral flexibility that introverts have to adapt their behavior if they want to. You know, if, yeah. if they want to do that, they can do that if they want. You know, there's... I, so I get I get some pushback. I've had emails in my inbox from people from introverts telling me that I shouldn't you know pursue my line of research because I'm telling introverts to act like extroverts, and as a consequence, it's as if I'm you know telling them that they shouldn't be true to who they are. And right. I, I get that argument, but I don't entirely agree with it because the point of a lot of this sort of research is to say, hey, look, we actually have a lot more behavioral flexibility than what we might think. Introverts are capable of acting like extroverts when when you know when it's appropriate to do so mm. and it appears as though there are not too many negative consequences of doing so and so therefore you have the option the agency essentially to decide for yourself if that sort of behavior is going to be useful to you and if it's not hey that's cool no that's fine with me There's also evidence that whether an extrovert or an introvert is effective in their role as a leader actually comes down to the kind of team they're leading. There's some work by Professor Adam Grant that's really cool. Professor Grant teaches at the Wharton School of Business at the University of Pennsylvania. What he was looking at was reversing the extroverted leadership advantage. And what he did, he found that whether or not the leader is effective actually depends on the kind of team that they're leading. And what he found is that introverts who who led proactive teams, teams that have a lot of kind of get up and go and they're pretty Mm self-motivated, they actually do better when they're led by introverts. Because what happens is introverts are more likely to kind of just provide the direction and just let them go. Mm. Whereas an extrovert is more likely to want to take over. Um, and Micromanage. Yeah, and and sort of stifle some some of their proactiveness. However, where the extroverts were particularly effective was where 
they were not leading a proactive team and maybe the team needed a bit of a kick up the backside and extroverts were fantastic at that. And so there are these situational dependencies as well that shape whether or not, you know, extroversion or introversion is more beneficial. So it's, I, although I, you know, I, I talk about the generalizations, there are so many complexities and nuances that that we're trying to now uncover, which I think sure. are really important to, to add flavor to the overall story. Yeah. Okay. So I guess the summary version is no one is terrible. There are benefits to both, <laughs> but you know, yeah. uh, there could be potentially more benefits if you go adopting a bit more extroversion. That's right. On average, I would say that that's, that's a fair, fair summary. Right. Okay. Nice. That's Dr. Andrew Spark, personality scientist from the Queensland University of Technology. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? And a big thank you to producer Belle Smith for heading down to Federation Square in Melbourne, stopping strangers and chatting about their personalities. Thankfully, she counts herself as an ambivert, so it wasn't totally the scariest assignment. I'm happy to have my own space and not sort of be part of bigger crowds and things like that. So being in Fed Square is not <laughs> your idea of a good time. It wasn't quiet today, so I'm all right with that. Yeah. Thanks also to producer James Bullen and sound engineer Nathan Turnbull. I'm Sana Kadar. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next time. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio, and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.